0: Lord, give me life. I know the life you have for me is abundant, full of good things. God, all I want is you. Pour into my heart until you begin to overflow. Teach me what it means to live the blessed life. Well, good morning. How many of you are glad you're here today? Anybody? All right. Good. Good, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, in the warehouse, the chapel, or on an off-site campus, or online, uh, or maybe you're on a podcast working out. I love it when you do that and listen to me because it counts for me for my exercise, and uh, (laughs) I'm all about that. Hey, um, have you ever had an experience like I had recently? Um, I've been traveling a lot, just between... Sundays, uh, just uh, speaking to various groups and pastors and things like that. And, and recently I was, I was coming home and I was tired. I was exhausted. I had spoken, um, I don't know, eight times in two days and uh, just uh, ready to just relax that night. And Deb said, uh, do you remember that we have a dinner that we're going to? And I said, do we have to? And she said, yes. And I knew it was a fundraising event. And I was tired and I was crabby. And then we get ready to walk out the door and she gives me one of those. You aren't wearing that, are you? Guys, have you ever had one of those and it just like takes it up a level for you? Yeah, well, that's where I was. And so I went. I was uncomfortable. And then the host shared a story and it was good. But during the uh, a part of the sharing, I felt like I heard from God. And, uh, you know, Robert Morris, over the last two weeks, and I'm kind of concluding the series today. The Blessed Life has, he talked a lot about hearing from God. And it could be kind of confusing for us because, um, you know, it not like he heard a lot. A lot of times you don't hear a lot. And I certainly have never heard an audible word from God. But I get hunches and impressions. Do you guys get those? Just, you know, when you're reading the Bible or like when I was sitting in this thing and I got a hunch from God. That basically I want you to give to this. And then he gave me a specific number. And, you know, when Debbie and I kind of get what it means to give. We get what, what the tithe is that, you know, the tithe I bring to the local church. And it's not like whatever number he was given me to give is like, okay, I take what I normally would have given in tithe and just give it to them. That's not giving. You know, that, that satisfies my selfish heart, but it's not giving. It's not going above and beyond. And so we, we, we understand that. And so I understood that when God was prompt, prompting me to give, that it was something other than the tithes. It wasn't to divert funds that we were already giving. And, and I got a number that in my mind was generous. It wasn't extravagant, but it was generous. And I got to be honest with you. When I, when I heard it, or sensed it, I felt good about it. That was kind of exciting. And then I started to get nervous. And I'm just going to be honest here. I started calculating how how long it took me to earn that particular amount. And the part that really got to my heart was how much technology that I could buy with that particular (laughs) deal, okay? And so immediately, I cut it in half in my mind. And I thought, that would still be pretty generous to cut it in half. And then I thought, well, why not quarter it? And so I'm quartering it in my mind. And about that point, I lean over to my wife, and I said, Deb, are you kind of getting anything from God on this? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, how much do you think we're supposed to give? And she gave the first amount. And I went, yeah, me too. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because and, and the principle here is Debbie is a lot more generous than your pastor is. She always is. In and, and offerings uh, with the grandkids and with friends, she's exceptionally generous. But here's my thought coming out of that. Why do I struggle with generosity toward God? Any of you ever wondered that? I mean, why do I struggle? Even right now. Right now, I'm going to be honest with you. You came in, you looked in your bulletin, and you saw, oh, it's a message on generosity. It's probably giving, tithing, or whatever. And it was a bummer for you. And you're going, I wish I hadn't come. What about the people that I brought? and All this kind of stuff. And... (laughs) Yeah, you're there, aren't you? And... And why do we struggle with that stuff? Why do we? I mean, we know that God is exceptionally generous with us. But anytime we think about being generous or we talk about generosity, it's like, it's like you know, bad-tasting medicine going down sideways. And it shouldn't be. And so I'm going, why do I still struggle with this? I was, uh, this week I was reading, in the last couple of weeks, I've been reading The Blessed Life. And uh, Pastor Robert Morris has been teaching us for the last few weeks. And, and I saw something in there that I want to piggyback on. I want to piggyback on some of his thoughts. I, I want you to know that the good thoughts here are mine. Okay, you guys understand that. But Robert, I want to give you credit for stimulating my, stimulating my mind. And before we get into, into kind of some principles, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read a story from the Bible. It's fascinating. And a lot of us have been curious about it for years and I just want to kind of break it out for a few minutes it's found in John chapter 12 and verse 1 if you have a bible you can follow along or you know if you've got a bible on your phone or there's a, a outline sheet uh, or you can see it on, on the screen kind of the context of this is this is like the last week of Jesus's ministry in his life um, he's, he's going to be crucified within a week and just a few days earlier he had been in the very same place uh, and he had risen Lazarus from the dead you remember that story and so that's kind of the context of where we are and let's read six days before the Passover ceremonies began Jesus arrived in Bethany the home of Lazarus the man that he had raised from the dead and a dinner was prepared in Jesus honor and Martha served and Lazarus sat at the table with him and then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who would betray him, said, That perfume was worth a small fortune. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor, not that he really cared for the poor. He was a thief who was in charge of the disciples' funds, and he often took some for his own use. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did it in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but I will not be here with you much longer. The story contrasts two extremes. And probably most of us live somewhere between the two. You've got extreme generosity in in Mary who takes a bottle of Of perfume. Now I've got a bottle here for you to see. This is a bottle that I um, probably gave to my wife and therefore the price on this was probably somewhere south of $35. Okay. Let's, (laughs) let's just be real. Let's be real here. Okay. And, uh, and so this is like two ounces, a little less than two ounces. The bottle that she did this with was six times bigger than this. Think, uh, Uh, soda can. Think, you know, what what you have, your Diet Coke or your Coke or whatever, 12 ounces. It was about that size. And uh, those that know this stuff investigated it because some of the versions give like the money of the time. And it was worth one year's salary. Okay? Get that. She takes a bottle of perfume worth one year's salary. And she opens it up and she pours it out on his feet, for goodness sake. There is, I mean, it's like a consumable that will never come back, and she pours it on him as an act of worship. Extreme, extreme generosity. And then on the other end, you've got extreme selfishness of Judas who confronts her on this whole deal, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Two questions to kind of think about. One of them is, why did Mary do it? Why did she do that? Can you imagine? I mean, you imagine something. I don't know what, what you make, okay? Let's say you make, you're make you in college, you make $10,000 a year, unless you play football for one of the big schools. But, or, um, you know, maybe you make $50,000 a year, or maybe you make 100000 or a $1 million a year. Doesn't matter what it is. Just put it in your context. Can you imagine yourself taking one year's salary just pouring it out. Why did she do that? That's the question. And on the other end with Judas is why did he care? Because it wasn't his money. It wasn't about him. It wasn't his money. Why is he so upset with that? Well, let's talk about it. Let me give you some lessons on generosity from from a bottle of perfume. Number one, generosity has an enemy called selfishness. Has an enemy called selfishness. Wherever you find generosity, you're going to find selfishness battling for control it's an age-old battle it's from the beginning of time god is generous satan is not you've got this battle that goes on it goes on within every one of us we all struggle with this you are born what generous or selfish yeah Uh, this week i had some friends in visiting we had an event here at the church and so i took them to see my grandkids because we had a little uh, child care thing going on. And I, I wanted him to see what it looks like to have five two-year-olds all the same age and all related to me. It's just a hoot. I mean, I love it. I got little tricks I show them, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's bizarre, but it's who I am right now. And so I, t- I took him back to see that. And and there, there were two, two of them wrestling on the ground. It wasn't like play wrestling. It was a death grip. And one of them had this ratty old te- teddy bear that wasn't even theirs, didn't belong to either one of them, a a grip on this yelling, get off me, get off me, get off me, it's mine, and the other one, I mean, was not going to let go, it just was not going to happen, and I'm going, you know, it's not always like this, guys, you know, usually my kids go, here's my favorite toys, would you love to, I'd love to share them with you, you know, and uh, no, it's, It's selfishness and it's always there. In fact, Paul writes to the Philippian church. This is interesting. He writes to you and I. Okay, this is Seacoast. He's writing to Seacoast. And he says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Are you kind of excited about being in Christ, he says? Any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. And loving one another and working together with one heart and purpose. So idealistic. Man, you know, this is so wonderful. You guys are so good and you're so generous. Would you just love each other and work together as a church? And then he gives the second paragraph, which is why that's not going to happen very easily. He says, Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Do not think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. He almost talks to them like kindergartners. You know, he doesn't write, you know what, you think about others too much, you really ought to be thinking about your own self more. Because he doesn't have to write that because that's natural. You ever ridden in an elevator that has mirrors in it? Do you know why they have mirrors in it? Because if you're going to be in a cramped, confined space, you might as well spend your time looking at yourself. Okay? Because we think about Ourself. He says, at least act like you're interested in the things of others. If you'll act like that, you may ultimately act your way into a feeling. Because whenever you find generosity, you're going to find selfishness battling for control. Then we have Judas. He says, it should have been sold and given to the poor. Actually, that sounds like a pretty good plan, doesn't it? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. In this story, I relate to Judas much more than I relate to Mary. I mean, there are some things I hope I'm not like Judas on, but this is crazy, pouring this out. That's nuts. My little mind goes, sell it and let's do something good. Let's give it to the poor. Do you, do you relate to that? Okay. But look at him. His heart betrays who he really is. The text reveals his heart. He didn't care about the poor. It's just an excuse. It's an excuse. He's a thief. And hopefully I'm not like Judas in that. He's a thief. He controls the offering box, although I do control my own offering box. And Malachi says that when I don't give to God my tithe, I'm, I'm like a thief. I don't want to think about that verse. But it's, a, it, it's about what's in it for him. See, the oldest excuse for selfishness sounds so good. They should sell their stuff and they ought to give it to the poor. We say this about any house that's bigger than ours. They ought to sell that house. Give it to the poor. It happens around here in a parking lot. You guys come into the parking lot and you see some of the cool cars that are out there. Have you ever done that? I go out and walk around every once in a while, ooh, that's cool. And sometimes you'll go, sometimes the the devil will get in your heart and you'll go, They really ought to, they really ought to sell that and give that to the poor. I mean that's just really extreme. They're Christians and they drive that. They should sell that. They should give it to the poor. We say that about anybody in a higher tax bracket than us. They really ought to do more. And, 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 and here's the truth. Here's the truth. You don't care about the poor. You'd sell your house and your car and you'd give it to the poor, right? Okay, it's getting a little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. It's all right. We're all that way. We're all that way. understand that. We deceive ourselves. Selfishness is always trying to put others down so the finger never points back at us. Selfishness always provides an excuse why not to be generous. And the truth is this. Judas is about what's in it for him. His whole following Jesus is that way. In, in, in the book I recently wrote, I, I, I talked about the kind of the political thing that was going on with Jesus. And it was tougher than we have. We have two parties, you know, uh, basically, Republicans and Democrats. And they had four or five back then. And Jesus had all of them in his church. And, and he navigates and negotiates that whole deal. And Judas is a zealot. And from the zealot party, what they want to do is they want to overthrow Rome. Because Rome are the bad guys. And uh, there are some people that want to appease Rome. These guys don't want to appease anything. Let's overthrow them. He hears Jesus, this guy that's getting a huge following. And he hears him talking about a new kingdom. He goes, that's it. That's me. I want to be a part of that. It, It relates to my politics. Let's overthrow it. Maybe I'll have a place in that. And then as he follows Jesus, he begins to hear weird stuff he's saying. The kingdom is not of this earth, but it's... It's different. He doesn't understand that, but it's, come on, let's, let's do the deal. And, and then Jesus starts talking about dying, and he sure doesn't get that, but he, he's going, this guy's off track. Maybe he's delusional, whatever. I'm going to have to make my own way. It's, he's not doing what I thought that he would. And so now he's stealing from the offering box. Maybe he's getting ready for his own, you know, okay, it's not going to be around much. We've got these big crowds, big offerings coming in. I'm going to make room for myself. And we know that within a few days, he's going to really literally sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He's masking his selfishness by feigning concern for the poor. But really, he's following Jesus because of what's in it for him. Here's a tough question. Why are you following Jesus? Why do I follow Jesus? You know, is it really to abandon everything that we have and give everything that we are to the advancement of his kingdom? Or is it for what we can get out of it? See, there's a gospel that's being preached these days that basically is, you know, is it, he's, he's like the slot machine in the sky. And if he gives, you know, it, it, I, I give to get and God blesses me in all, all kinds of ways. And we're talking about a blessed life, but it's a little bit different than that. Your priorities have to be right. And a lot of us follow Jesus because of what God gives us. Why do you follow Jesus? Because He healed my marriage. Why do you follow Jesus? Because He healed my daughter or my son. Why do you follow Jesus? Because I was in a bad financial place and He helped me out of that deal. And you know, those those things happen. But if that's when we follow Jesus, then when God quits coming through with that stuff, which happens at times in our lives, we... You go, why didn't God show up in this circumstance? And I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's what faith is. But you go, well, God let me down. Or Why didn't God heal this one? Or why didn't God help me through this financial deal? And so here's what happens is God lets us down. We think that God lets us down. And so we quit following him. We quit coming to church. We quit being around his people. And the truth of the matter is we were following God for what was in it for us rather than saying, God, it's all about you. That's hard. We all struggle with that stuff. Selfishness only cares about itself. A selfish person like Judas will sell out friends and family if it means getting what they want. It's a good excuse, selfishness is, for not being generous. And so Mary comes to Jesus with a heart overflowing with gratitude and love. In fact, her love became worship through an offering that was extravagant, an offering of great price. Another question. What are my offerings? What do your offerings say about your heart? Your offer, offerings indicate that your heart is overflowing with love and gratitude. Or or is it kind of, you know, arguing about little things and trying to get, get away with the least that you can or, or pointing to everybody else and saying that if they would do more then things could be done. What, whatever. What do your offerings say? What does your spending say about what's most important to you on earth see Judas wanted to keep everything that he could in order to build his own kingdom and Mary wanted to give everything that she had in order to bless the king generosity has an enemy and it's called selfishness now the second thing we learn about generosity from bottle of perfume is that extreme generosity can seem extravagant can seem extravagant Mary poured one year's wages on Jesus' feet how many of you think that's extravagant this is not a trick question. Yes, Papa. That's what I say to my granddaughters. Yes, that, that's an extravagant thing. That made no sense, but it's a, kind of an inside thing. <laughs> so, Debbie and I were talking this week about what would constitute extravagant these days. Okay? Well, part of it is apples and apples because you just go, okay, uh, one-year salary, whatever my one-year salary is, that would be the equivalent of what she did. But let's take it further than that. What what if, what if I was to say to you, you need to give God an extravagant gift? Frame of reference, God owns everything. How do you give somebody that owns everything an extravagant gift? Have you ever drawn names? We're about to do that for Christmas, draw names. And you get the one in the workplace or in your family or whatever that has everything and can buy anything that they want. What do you give them? It's easy this year, just give them my book. It's it's easy. It's really, really easy. So what do you give God? Would a a gift of a million dollars, would that be extravagant? Would a gift of a billion dollars be extravagant? Don't know. Here's what I know. About the only extravagant thing that you could give a God that has everything is you. It's the only thing he doesn't have. Is you. He's got it all. But there are parts of us that we, that we, that we don't give to God. And, and, an, and an extravagant thing would be to say, God, here am I. Everything that I am, everything that I have been, everything that I'm going to be, my dreams, my aspirations, my relationships, my resources, everything. God's yours. It's your disposal. That's extravagant. And that's what Mary did. The perfume represented herself. You know, Paul sends a letter in Corinthians to a fairly well-off church. It's it, it'd be kind of like it'd be kind of like Seacoast, to be honest with you. It's a church. You know, people are generous and they're loving God and they're you know they're they're doing okay and uh, they're they're trying to take an offering. is what they're doing for churches that are less fortunate. And um, and when he writes this letter to Corinthians, he says, "I want you to I want you to see what a church that really doesn't have anything." Church's in less fortunate situation. I want to see how they responded to our appeal for resources. It's called the Macedonian church. In Second Corinthians 8, and verse 5, he says, Best of all, they, that's the Macedonian church, doesn't have a whole lot. They went beyond our highest hopes. When we asked them to give, they went beyond our highest hopes. For their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord and to us for whatever directions God might give them. Did you hear that? They said, God, the first thing we're going to do, I give you I give you myself. And then you guide me from there. I'll just listen to you. You guide me from there. I give you myself. And then he goes on, and this isn't on your outline sheet, but it's two verses later, he gives a little teaching to this, you know, well-off church, Corinth church. He says, since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith and such gifted speakers and such knowledge and such enthusiasm and such love for us, now I want you to excel also in this gracious ministry of giving. He says you got a lot of things going for you. I want you to take this up a level. I want you to take your generosity up a level. How do you do that? How do you excel in giving? Let me suggest a couple of things. There are basically three levels of giving. There's the tithe, the tithe. The tithe is your planned, consistent giving. It's not you know the tithe doesn't depend on. Uh, if you're uh, you, know, you happen to be in church that weekend, or if you are moved by you know something that's said, sung, or done, no, the tithe is just a, a discipline. It's like okay, um, God has given to me. I'm going to bring the tithe back so that my resources can be blessed, and I get, bring them to the local church. Okay, we've talked a lot about that last couple of three weeks. It's consistent. It's it's planned. It's online. Um, then the second level of giving. Oh, can I just say this about the tithe? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. If you're not tithing at this point, um, I want to challenge you to take the tithe challenge. Malachi 3, God says test him. And it's the only place in the, the whole Bible that he says to test him. As a representative of God, w- w- we'll say this. If you tithe for the next 90 days and you really do it, not partially, but you just go for it and you do it, and you, you say that God doesn't come through in the way that his word says that he would, we'll, we'll return your money. We'll just do it. We believe in it that much. We absolutely believe in it that much. It will bless you. And it's, it's a response to God's word. Second uh, level of giving is offerings. And that's, you know, when, when you're at a meeting like I was at, or, you know, you're, you're, you see somebody in the neighborhood, or, or your Aunt Margaret, or your kids, or whatever it happens to be, and you're prompted to give above your tithes. That's, that's an offering. And then the third level is extravagant offerings. And that's, that's this. That's what Mary did, was extravagant offerings. Now, here's some statistics um, that, that, that I found this week. Uh, that uh, in America, where we live, 5% of Americans tithe. 5% of adult Americans tithe. Okay, 5%. Um, in evangelical churches that are like this, um, much more generous. 24% of all evangelical adults tithe. One out of every, what is that? Four evangelical adults tithe. Seacoast is even more generous than that. I always tell you guys you're a generous church and you are. Um, One out of every three people, adults in this church tithe. So you guys are generous. What would it be like if everybody did? Can you imagine the good that God could do through us? Here's the truth. So most people uh, never get even the first level but here's another truth most people who do get to that first level of tithing they go on to the second level because they, they 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 experience god's blessing in their life and so they begin to try to listen and learn and grow in generosity but very few people ever get to the joy of the third level of giving which is extravagant giving it's this kind it's extravagant giving. very few people ever do that in the Bible, you've got several examples. David, uh, when he was getting ready to build the temple, he, he didn't even get to see the temple. He, he died before it happened. But he gave $21 billion out of his own treasury for the, for the building of the temple. I would just like to have the opportunity to have $21 billion in my treasury. How about you? you know, But he, he was generous. It wasn't something other kings did. He was generous. Um, Solomon, uh, for the dedication of the temple, he was supposed to sacrifice a, a, a bull. And so he sacrificed a thousand bulls because he was generous. And because he did, God said, you know what, Solomon, I think I can trust you. Ask anything you want from me. Solomon asked for wisdom. And God said, because you didn't ask for riches or power, but you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you all of that. Because God can trust generous people. He can't trust selfish people like Judas. He can trust generous people. Um, There's a story, I love the story, where the widow gave her went to the offering boxes. You remember that one? Jesus is hanging out at his church. He's hanging out with the guys. Can you imagine Jesus standing at the offering boxes, just kind of watching, hanging out while you're giving your offerings? Go ahead. Ah, nah, I'm just watching. It's all right. Go ahead. Go for it. And so what happened was some really rich people, wealthy people, put their offerings in and they clanged a lot. Evidently, they got it, the, the, like the bills down into coins so it sounded good going into the offering thing and his disciples were amazed and jesus said they think they give a lot but they don't just a thought and just a thought sometimes we think that it will be easier to be generous if we had a lot of money i'm going to tell you experience over the years watching people it's harder to give proportionally when you get a lot of money when the the zeros get bigger Even the tithe is difficult because you want to control it. And it's like you you think, well, I'm giving just a lot. And actually, just proportionally, if you watch what Jesus said, Jesus said, watch this, guys. You think that was a lot? Watch this. This little lady comes up and she gives two mites, two pennies. He said, that's a lot because that's all she had. How do you know that when two pennies is all you have, that's a generous offering? It's a generous offering. So it's not about who has the most. It's about whose heart is where it needs to be. And God obviously was super generous when he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And, and, and I want to say, I'm not beating you up at all. This church is the most generous church that I've been in, that I've been a part of. And I, I just want to congratulate you for that. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to, to, as Paul does, I'd like to say, let's take it up a level. Let's take it up a level. Let's see if we can't be more generous. I, wanna, I want you to see what happens when we together decide we're going to do something generous. Take a look at the screen.
1: The mission of Hope Epidemic is to equip and empower local churches in strategic locations all around the world. Through these relationships and research we have found that there are several areas where we can help local churches become more relevant and make an impact in their community. About one billion people in the world lack access to clean water. Dirty water kills more people each day than war, Natural disasters, AIDS, or hunger. In December of 2009, as a church, we decided that we were going to do something about this. Hope Epidemic was born, and through spare change and some larger gifts, we were able to raise $350,000 to eradicate this issue in places where we have strategic relationships all around the world. And uh, one of those places that we're making a huge difference is in Haiti. I'm here uh, in Port au Prince, we have a water system here. Uh, that you guys uh, gave uh, uh, money towards and uh, it's feeding a refugee camp here and uh, we're also working on projects in Sri Lanka and in Togo and uh, looking for other opportunities around the world Over 130 million children between the ages of 7 and 18 have never attended school. A majority of those children are girls who are denied any access to education Nearly one billion people in the world cannot read or sign their own name. In 2011, Seacoast focused on this issue by building schools in strategic places around the world. We also sent over a dozen teams to teach basic education and health education. For 2012, our medical focus will be on the country of Uganda. Uganda has one of the worst healthcare records in the world. The life expectancy there is about 49 years of age, and the infant mortality rate is one of the highest in the world. Over 50% of Ugandans do not have access to health care. As a church, we have decided to partner with Palmetto Medical Initiative to build a health care facility in Masindi, Uganda. An inpatient and outpatient clinic has already been built and is up and running, saving lives daily. This facility is state-of-the-art and does an excellent job in holistically caring for people of this region. The care is so great that the poor and rich alike are using the facility. The next step in this project is to build an operating room and a labor and delivery room. We will be raising money to complete this project as well as offering four opportunities to be a part of a medical team to the area. And I just want to thank you, uh, church, for the way that you give uh... for the way that you go and for the way that you pray for people uh, around the world and i just want to thank you for having a heart for missions it's
0: kind of cool now let me let me explain a couple of things just because we did water two years ago education a year ago and now it's medical doesn't mean we quit doing water and education we're just focusing on things and learning and getting better and doing all of it uh... let me explain how it works here um... uh, you, you have an offering envelope, and on that offering envelope it says tithe, hope, and seed. Let me tell you about seed. Seed is is, is planting churches and building buildings and campuses and those types of things. Um, Ten years ago, we decided that the most effective means of evangelism, and we didn't decide it, other people studied it, is planting churches. So let's get serious about planting churches. So we created a church planting organization called The Ark. and We asked a few of our friends come and help us with that in 10 years we've planted 230 churches as of today about 230 churches have been planted with uh, new ones being planted almost every week now let me tell you about that just one i can tell you tons of statistics let me give you one we have invested in the last 10 years six million dollars into those church plants okay six million dollars to plant 230 churches was that a good investment let me tell you one of the ways that we know that it was this year Those churches that we planted, not including ours, those that we planted, will give eight million dollars to world missions, to projects like what we talked about right there. I want you to get that back, just a second. Then I want you, hang on, I want you to applaud, but I want you to get it. We've invested six million every year, and it will go up every year, they are investing eight million dollars. How many of you think that's a good return on investment? Now it's time to apply. Now, now, uh, 2% of your tithe, whether you give toward seed or not, 2% of your tithe goes to fund some of that, okay, regardless. Hope are things like what we've talked about. Whether you give toward hope or not, a portion of your tithe goes to do that also, okay? Let me tell you one story from that. Um, A few years ago, uh, some of our team started ministering an area in Kenya. Uh, One lady specifically uh, was responsible for that. And she's had a relationship and she was upset that the the women there who did a lot of the work had to uh, go 10 miles in order to get clean water. And so somehow they got a well to be a part of. I'm not even sure that we did the well, but they got a well to be a part of it. And the well broke a couple, three years ago. And so she kept emailing me, this well is broke. What are we going to do about it? This well is broke. What are we going to do about it? It just irritated me because it just over and over and over again. She's 73 years old. She's very uh, persistent. I think she's here today. And uh, so so finally she gets me face to face. This well is broken. What are we going to do about it? I said, I don't know anything about wells, but here's what I'm going to do. I ordain you and anoint you to be in charge of fixing that well in that area. She just lit up. Really? I said, yes. So she goes and gets some of the hope epidemic money, negotiates through. I mean, this is worse than a, th- than a, a country negotiation, because there were politics involved. There were ministries that weren't talking to each other, all this kind of stuff. And they got the well fixed. And so about six weeks ago, she and a couple of our campus pastors, their wives, went over to Kenya to do the blessing of the well. And, and I want to show you a picture of that. Uh, first of all, for, first, uh, I, I said, how'd that go? She said, we invited the whole area. We had planned on serving one camel, and we had to kill two in order to feed everybody. And I, I don't know what's up with that, but anyway. So... So she shows me this picture. She's got this picture. And this is a picture of that well. And she wanted to point out, it doesn't just have one spigot, but it's like a four spigot well, which I guess is a big deal. I've never been there. And and this kid is getting a drink out of that well. I said, that is an awesome picture. Did we send one of our photographers to take that? She said, no, that's another story. She said, one of the campus pastors that went, he and his wife for 16 years have given generously. They understand the tithe. They're giving above their tithe. They gave generously to uh, adopt a young guy from Compassion International. They've been doing that for 16 years. He, he, th- this guy didn't have a father and mother, lived with his grandparent, and lived in the worst slum in Nairobi, which is one of the worst ones in the world. Through an extravagantly generous thing, they got them out of there and got them moved in somewhere else. Well, when they went over this time, they met this kid for the first time. He met them in the airport, came running to them and said, Mama, Daddy. Well, this kid's 21 years old now. This kid brought his camera and he took the picture. Is that phenomenal? That is incredible. That's some of the stuff that happens when we're generous. So what can you do? Well, there's a brochure here that I want you to take out and I want you to look at I want you to respond to. Some of you will go, some of you will give. Uh, I'd like to see us give generously above the tithe to even the project that we're talking about. The project of uh, building this... uh, uh, what, what is it called, the uh, uh, maternity center or clinic in, in Uganda, uh, $60,000 for an operating room, including labor and delivery, and $50,000 for a maternity ward with private rooms. So a h- total of $110,000 to build this thing. I didn't say $110 million. That would be here, there, $110,000. And uh, $11,000 to ship a container full of equipment and supplies, Uh, most of the supplies have been donated. $5,000, the cost to build a room in the maternity ward. $3,000, cost of medicine for a short-term trip to Uganda, and we're going to do four of them next year. $2,500, the cost to run a clinic for a month. $1,000, the salary for a licensed doctor for a month. $100, is the cost to purchase 100 mosquito nets to prevent malaria. Here's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see some of us give our tithes and then give generously above that to supply this need. Um, Some of you have given extravagantly before in the campuses and here seven years ago to build this building. There were some of us that gave the equivalent of a year's salary because we believed in what God was doing and people have come to know Jesus and this, this kind of stuff is happening all over the world. Some of you today will go, you know what, I can take a piece of that. I think there's some of you that might be able to say, I'll take the whole thing. Well, what if somebody took the whole thing? In fact, this morning after the last service, the first guy that came up to me after the service came up and he looked kind of with a scowl on his face and he said, okay, you win. And he gave me a check for $30,000. I said, no, God wins. God wins on that one, you know, and then he started to smile. But uh, so, so you say, well, what if we raise too much? Guess what? There's never, a, a end, there's an the supply of need. We'd love to do it in Honduras. We'd love to do it in um, uh, Nicaragua. We'd love to do it with some of our other partners. We've got one right across the river here in North Charleston, the Dream, Dream Center Clinic. We'd like to open that more often. There is more than enough need. I want to challenge you to take your giving up generously. Does that make sense? And I don't want you to do it for any other reason besides I presented the issue, you listen to God. If you commit yourself to God, I think He is well able to tell you what your part the situation is do you agree with that that was a little bit weak okay so why did mary do it we're not going to get through the whole message but we'll try why did mary do it the clue is in the first scripture that we read uh john 12 1 it said they were at bethany the home of lazarus who was her brother whom jesus had raised from the dead see a generous heart stems from a grateful heart when you see what God has done, Mary probably had a different perspective on worldly possessions after she had seen her brother raised from the dead. Would you agree with that? See, so just getting a glimpse of what Jesus can do for the people that we love can have that kind of impact on us. For the people in our own home, in our own neighborhood, our own community. When we look at stuff like this, we go, wow! Jesus has done so much. What more can I do but give my life and my resources to Him? Um, Mary had no idea about the significance of her gift. Verse 12 in Matthew 26, same story. says, she has poured this perfume, Jesus said, on me to prepare my body for burial. She had no idea Jesus was going to die. She had no idea that the, that the way he died, that there wouldn't be time to anoint him for burial. She had no idea of any of that. She had no idea that what she did was to be used by God in a symbolic way throughout the centuries. She had no idea. And sometimes when we give obediently and extravagantly by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we have no idea the significance and the timing of the gift. God knows. I can't wait till we get to heaven someday and maybe he opens that up. Greg, did you did, you did this in response. Let me show you what happened. Let me show you what happened. God knows. The, the last principle is this. Selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Generosity can seem extravagant. God always rewards extravagant generosity. Jesus makes an interesting comment after Judas hassles Mary. Look at it in Mark 14.9. says, I assure you, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be talked about in her memory. It says, because she did it, I'm going to bless her. She's going to be talked about. You know, Mary's not thinking when she does it, this is going to make me famous. People will be talking about me for centuries. They'll probably name hospitals after me. No. No. She just comes to give, but here's the principle. You can't give without God blessing you. No, you don't give to get, but you know what? When you give, God blesses. And if you don't like that, get over it. It's just the way it is. He's the God of the universe. In fact, Hebrews 11 says that if you're going to believe in Him, you're going to have to believe that God is and that God is a rewarder. That's His nature. He's generous. He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Here's here's what happens, and I I'll just kind of close with this. When, when you decide to follow a, a prompting and give generously, you go through a process just like I did at the beginning of this message. You get excited, then you get nervous, then you start getting logical. Okay? And then you start doubting: did I really hear God? Was it just the bad burritos or a bad piece of fish or something, you know? Or or was it the devil? I can just rule that one out right now. I don't think the devil is going to prompt you to give so that the gospel can go around the world. I just really don't think he's going to do that. Okay? So you start doubting, and then finally you step out in faith. And when you do, the excitement returns. You become obedient, and you begin to act. So we're going to have a response time. And here's what I want to ask you during the response time. Two questions. I want you to ask yourself, am I generous, or does selfishness still have a grip on me? Am I generous or does selfishness still have a grip on me? Who can I relate to most in this story? Second question is, how much of me does God have? Does he have my dreams? Does he have my future? Does he have my relationships? Does he have my money? Does he have my possessions? See, God wants to do a work in our hearts today. He wants to take us to another level of generosity. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for a wonderful opportunity just to respond to you today. God, I don't know what you want to do in our hearts. I just know that you want to do something. God, I ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this place, in the campuses, uh, on the internet, listening to a podcast, wherever it is. God, I want you to stir our hearts to respond to you generously. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.